Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons in our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply send me an email at pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. So we're going to continue in Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew 18. And so let's look in Matthew 18, and I'm just going to read the first 14 verses to kind of go over what the Scripture has to tell us. Um, So let's read Matthew 18, 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man, woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. 
So it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that we are, God, able to hear from Jesus about the kingdom of heaven and what that means. I pray today that we would align our thinking to the word, that we would understand what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I ask, who is the greatest person in all of history, what does your mind first go to? Who is the person who is, and the greatest might have a lot of different aspects. Who is the most influential? Who is the most well-known? Who has the most impact? You might have a certain idea, but if you Google that question, you'll find out not everyone shares maybe your opinion. Though I, I did that this week. Who is the greatest person of all time? Give me the top ten list of everyone, the, the greatest people ever. There's a, there's a, a list that I found from a, a website called who.com. And the, who is, in case, you, I'm sure you all know this already, but it's Australia's like most trusted source for celebrity news, okay? So, very reputable source here. And it says that the most important, most greatest person of all time was Martin Luther King Jr. Jesus made the list at number three. He just beat out Gandhi and Arnold Schwarzenegger. No joke. Okay? That was four and five. That's who.com. There was another list I found from someplace called top10s.com. And Jesus was higher on the list. He was number two. Number one was Muhammad. Number two was Jesus. I don't know how trusted that source was. It had honorable mention at 11. Obama was number 11. Um, he beat out Socrates, Shakespeare, and Moses. So, again, I don't know how reputable these lists are. The one that really gained my attention was a list from Ranker.com. Ranker as in one who ranks things. Not Ranker as in uh, trouble. Um they had 13,400 people vote to make this list. Number one person of all, the greatest person of all time was no, number one in that list was Da Vinci. Jesus made that list too, but he was number seven on the list, right in between, right in between Einstein and Mozart. So that, you know, the world has its ideas of who is great. And the disciples were really asking a question similar to this. They were saying, hey, Jesus, if you're going to make a top ten list of the greatest people in the kingdom, where am I going to rank? I'm pretty close to the top, right, Jesus? That's really what they were asking. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? The disciples were walking with Jesus. We know that they're in the Galilee area. They have, they're in Capernaum is what we've found out last week. And, G, and then they say, they start this conversation and they went to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus begins in this passage to realign their thinking. 
essentially saying, guys, this is the wrong question. This isn't the question you need to ask. How great am I in this kingdom? Where do I rank? Am I one of Jesus' favorites? Is kind of the idea. And he says, man, we've got to rethink this. We've got to realign our thinking. And so he starts talking about who is great in the kingdom. What does it mean to be great in the kingdom? And so let's look at this passage and see what he says. And the first he says, to be great in the kingdom, you first have to humbly enter into the kingdom. You have to humbly enter into the kingdom. Look at verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As this classical Jesus style, he, they ask a question and he doesn't really answer it immediately. It says, at that time, they, they asked Jesus a question. And it's, that's literally, at that hour. And if you remember last week, Jesus had told Peter, hey, go fishing and get a coin out of that fish's mouth to pay taxes for both of us. Now, I don't believe this was in the next 60 minutes, but Matthew's trying to get us to think, this is the very next discussion that the disciples had with Jesus. And you might, you might kind of picture that. You can understand why this might be. Jesus had just talked to Peter about kings and how they get their taxes. Do they tax sons or do they tax strangers? And so they begin thinking about sons of kings. Those sons eventually come and replace the king. They are next in line. And then Peter tell, I mean, Jesus tells Peter, hey Peter, go fishing so you pay for my temple tax and your temple tax. And you might hear the other 11 disciples saying, well what about our temple tax, Jesus? Was Peter, Peter better than us? Why does he get his taxes paid? And you might hear John, maybe, right? John sitting over there saying, well who does Peter think he is, right? I was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter. I did the exact same thing. In fact, in John's gospel, he's referred to as the one Jesus loves. John might be saying, look, I mean, I know Peter gets his text paid for, but Jesus loves me, right? I'm his favorite. If anyone's going to be leading this kingdom, it's going to be me. And Bartholomew says, now wait a minute, John. You three, Peter, James, and John, you were, you know, you guys are always going off somewhere and we're stuck with the work. You were up with Jesus doing a camping trip up on the mountain. Remember, they don't know what happened up there. And we were stuck down here doing the work. That demon possessed kid, we couldn't get control of. He was, he was horrible. You know, I mean, you've got to think they're thinking through this. If anyone's going to be leading Bartholomew, might have said, it's going to be us. It's going to be me. And you say, you don't know the disciples said that. I don't, but I know they're people, and I've been around people, right? <laughs> and they say, well, I've done this. Surely that means I'm better. And an argument comes out amongst the disciples. This is not the first time we encounter this. 
It's not going to be the last time we encounter this. And they start thinking, hey, which one of us, Jesus, when the kingdom comes in, who's going to be your second in command? Who's going to be able to tell all the other disciples what to do? Who's the greatest here? It might have even had the hint of, Jesus, you said you're going to die, so which one of us is going to take your place? And Jesus doesn't answer them and calls this child. Now, in the Greek, there is this emphasis on small child. It's It's a very young child, young enough to come when called, but probably very young. Maybe maybe two, three years old, we don't know, but... It's the emphasis on a small child. And he picks, he takes this child, maybe sits him on a lap, and says, guys, you are asking the wrong question. If you are pursuing position and status, you're not even going to get into the kingdom, let alone be great in the kingdom. He says, you're thinking about this all wrong. You're asking the wrong question. In fact, asking the question shows the disciples had no idea about what the kingdom is really about. What does it mean to have Jesus rule in your life? And it's not about how great am I, right? How, what position in authority am I going to have? It's something different. And he uses this child then as an object lesson. He uses it as an object lesson of, of what does it mean to be in the kingdom. Much like when he saw a sparrow and he said, look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't sow and they don't reap, but God provides all that they need. And look at this lily here. It doesn't spin, it doesn't toil, it doesn't sow its own clothes, but God has, has clothed it in beauty. And he says, you are so much more than birds and lilies. And just like that, he's using this child as an object lesson. That's why when you read through this passage, it says, when you receive one such as this child. Or like this little one. And so, when we read Matthew 18, we are not necessarily reading about a physical child... We're talking about those who are children of the Heavenly Father. When he says, you must receive a child, he's talking about receiving those who have come to know Christ. We're going to get to that. He says, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, how great in the kingdom am I? The question is, how does one enter in to the kingdom? And he says, you've got to be like a child. You've got to enter in the humbleness of a child. And you might say, listen, I know children. They're not humble. Okay? <laughs> they are stubborn, and they throw temper tantrums, and they are selfish. They, they are not humble. And what Jesus is referring to is a particular aspect of children, the helplessness of this small child. Think about a one or two or three-year-old. And I know children are varying degrees of ability. But that child, let's say a two-year-old wakes up, that child has no ability to put food on the table. It doesn't go earn a living to buy food to put it on the table. There's a good chance that child can't even feed himself, right? Let alone put food on the table. And it can't go buy its own clothes. It may not, that child, he or she may not even be able to get clothes on. That child is told when to eat, 
when to nap, when to play, who they're going to play with, when to go to bed. The child is told everything it's going to do, and that child never doubts that his parent is going to provide all those things for that child. And Jesus is saying, for the person who wants to enter into the kingdom, that is the first principle they have to learn, is that we must depend wholly and entirely on the Lord for all things, just like a child would, one of his parents. It is the humbleness of helplessness that Jesus is talking about. If they are going to pursue rank, if they're going to pursue greatness in the kingdom, he says you have to turn around. You are going in the wrong direction. He says you have to be converted and become humble. Converted there is the word to turn. It's the word that's used for repent, to change direction, 180 degrees. They are trying to be kings. They want to know, I want to be second in command. Maybe even first in command. And Jesus says, if you want to be in the kingdom, you have to turn, stop trying to be a king, and become a humble child. That is what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. Depending upon their parents for all their needs is very natural for a physical child. They just know, they just, they just learn in a healthy family that this child knows my mom, my dad is going to give me food. And they don't doubt it. That they're going to wake me up and they're going to put clothes on me and they're going to make sure I'm safe. And I'm going to, those kids, you know, They could be that close to trouble. They don't know because the parents are watching, right? And we've put, you know, all the all the whole all the outlets have got stuff plugged in them so that the kids aren't jamming stuff in it. We've made sure that the drawers don't open so the knives don't come out on. We have done all kinds of things to make them safe. They're oblivious to the danger in which they could be living in, and the parents' job is to take care of them. That is our relationship with the father. Jesus says, I want, if you want to become great in the kingdom, you must be just like this child. You must be humble. So to be great in the kingdom, you first have to enter into the kingdom. And to enter into the kingdom, you must, and I think it's very interesting, look what he says in verse, in verse 3. You be converted and become like children. Adults are not like children. Okay? Adults are not humble. And in Western Colorado, there is, there is this independent nature that says, I don't need anybody. But to be in the kingdom, we must be humble and say, all I can, all I can do is trust in the Lord. I must depend only and wholly upon Him. We must turn. This is a command. This humbleness is a, is a command that we get all throughout Scripture. That we humble ourselves before the Lord. Look in, look in these verses here. Uh, James 4. James 4.10. He tells us... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking in the wrong passage. I was like, that's not right. James 4.10. It says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord... 
and He will exalt you. That's talking about entering into the kingdom. You humble yourself and say, I cannot earn my salvation. I cannot work my salvation. I cannot, I, I cannot depend upon myself to get into eternity. And when we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us into eternity. 1 Peter 5, 6. Same, the same thing. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Same exact principle. And Jesus will later say in Matthew 23, Matthew 23, 12, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. When we say, I've got this. I can, I can, I've got eternity under control. I've, I've given enough. I do enough good works. I'm a pretty decent guy. My good's gonna outweigh my bad. If I have exalted myself in that way, Jesus says, you will be humbled. And you will not make it into eternity. But, he says, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You trust in your works, you're going to be humbled. You trust in Christ alone, you will be exalted into eternity. So the question to begin with as we look at this passage is, have you humbled yourself as a child? You acknowledge you're unable. You're unable to earn eternal life. You're unable to gain eternity through your own means. Have you humbled yourself in that manner? Have you humbly entered into the kingdom? The path to greatness starts there. Not seeking who's second in command, but saying, I am the chief of sinners, like Paul has said, And I need Christ's forgiveness. So to be great in the kingdom, we must first enter the kingdom by humbling ourselves like a child. And then additionally, he goes on and he says we must fiercely protect the vulnerable. To be great in the kingdom means we fiercely protect the vulnerable. Look in verse 5 through it says 5 through 7. It really should say 5 through 6. And that's on me. I put the wrong numbers down. 5 through 6. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Talking about those who are great in the kingdom, he says first you must become like a child, and then you must receive those child. If you're a parent of, uh, you might remember that when that child is born, all of a sudden your life is no longer your own. (laughs) Right? All of a sudden, your life begins to kind of orbit around this child's schedule. When they, you know, sleep. And when they eat, and, and all of a sudden your money goes to clothes and food and diapers, and, and as they get older there's other things, and all of a sudden your life becomes caring for this child that God has placed in your care. When, when we are humbled and then entered into the kingdom, it says we receive those who have also humbled themselves 
and come into the kingdom. And anybody who's received in, we receive like Jesus. And here's, here's the point of him saying that. See, children contributed nothing in ancient times. Children were, were numbered among those who were deaf or, or dumb or weak-minded who couldn't speak, who couldn't contribute. In Galatians 4.1 it says that a child is no different than a slave while he's a child until he becomes an adult. There was thought there was absolutely no benefit of this child to me. Is kind of the idea. And Jesus says we don't measure worth of somebody by how much they will benefit us by receiving them in. It's not like we're looking for Jesus is saying, we're not looking for the, quote, best of society, whatever that might mean, and try to get them in here. He says, you receive anyone who has humbled themselves like a child. And when you receive even someone like a child who bears, who doesn't produce any benefit toward me, toward us, toward, you know, yourself, when we receive that, we're receiving them like we would receive Jesus. That's what he is saying. So new believers, people who have humbled themselves and come in to, to the kingdom, those under, under God's rule, they have become part of a larger society or, or maybe a smaller society, but the idea is a, it's a bigger in the sense of purpose and eternal nature when they enter into the body of Christ. And there is... There is some protection that we should offer them because they're like children who need help. Because he says there is the issue of stumbling that may occur. Now we have this word stumble that we have encountered several times over the last few weeks. It's the Greek word scandalon. We get the word scandalous from it. And I told you several times already it is the it is the bait stick in a trap. Something that's scandalous is, is a lure that will entrap somebody. And the, in, the, the indication that he's saying here is that there are things we must fiercely protect those who enter into the kingdom so that they are not lured away and become entrapped in sin. So there's we're seeing this in, in our world today, actually with actual physical children, right? When we see the, the drag queen story hours in our libraries across the country, even in our area. That is, in the way the scripture is talking about it, scandalous. And it's scandalous because it is a, it is a lure into a trap. It is saying, this behavior, this is what the, they will say, this behavior is okay. Just taste a little bit of it. And that child grabs hold of that bait, that lure, and they become ensnared in a trap that there is, it's impossible to get out of unless they're radically transformed by Jesus. Okay, there is always hope that in Jesus Christ, right? There is not, it's not a done deal. Jesus can free. If you're free, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. That is, 
That is a physical kind of example. And then there are spiritual examples that are the same thing, where someone maybe walks into the church and says, here is a tempting bit of doctrine that I think you should taste. And it's scandalous. It is, a, it is the lure that will entrap someone. And we need to be just as ferociously protecting those people, those little children, whether they're actual little children or adults who have just come to Christ, we need to be protecting them from that kind of doctrine that is false doctrine and would entrap them. I don't know if I'm, if I'm communicating what I'm communicating or what I want to communicate, but the, the question I want to ask is, is there something in, in your life that could ensnare another, another person? Let's say someone just came to Christ and they, they came in. If, you're, if, if they emulated your life, would they be drawn closer to the Lord or would they be led away from the Lord? If your children or grandchildren followed you and spoke like you and, and there was life and practice and doctrine that you held to and they held to that, would, in the end, would they become closer to the Lord or would they be further away from the Lord? That is a question we need to examine ourselves about. And we're going to talk about what to do with that. Because Jesus says... Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble, he says severe punishment is coming. He doesn't tell us what the punishment is, but he says this, it would be better if that person had a millstone, and that word literally is donkey stone, because it was a millstone that was so big that a human couldn't push it around, they needed a donkey to move that millstone around. He said it would be better if that was tied around that person's neck, they take out to the deepest part of the ocean and drop him to the... That's a brutal death. And Jesus says that's a whole lot better than what's going to happen to them. For leading a little one, someone who is one of the father's children, leading them away. We need to fiercely protect the vulnerable. That, that is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not um, well received sometimes. You go to somebody and say, I know you like listening to your favorite teacher, but that you listen to that favorite teacher, you're going to be ensnared in a trap that you cannot get out of that leads you away from the Lord. Boy, they don't like that because they like their favorite teacher. And they might get mad at you. There might be times that they hear from you, listen, this activity is wrong in Scripture. It says, God says, this is wrong, so we must live according to that. And they may not like that. And they may leave. But that is greatness in the kingdom. It is to humbly enter. It's to fiercely protect the vulnerable to receive such a child as we would receive Jesus and not bring them to stumbling. To be great in the kingdom, we enter as a child, fiercely protect those who are vulnerable. He goes on to say that we must ruthlessly attack sin. 
We must ruthlessly attack sin. Look at 7 through 8 here. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you, for it's better it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that no sorry, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Jesus gives two woes at the beginning here. At, at the beginning of the, in verse 7. Two woes. One to the world, one to an individual. Woe. When, when he says woe, it's a, it's a verdict against somebody. And it's a, it's a word of sorrow. It's like he's saying, man, this is really incredibly... Um, it, it's, it's really incredibly dreadful. This is a terrible thing. The world lures us and individuals lure us. And again, that the idea of luring is, is what we're at stake here. When he talks about stumbling blocks, if you've been fishing, you understand this, right? You don't throw just the hook in. The fish rarely just go after the hook. You've got to put something enticing on that hook, right? You've got to put something the fish like. And you hide the hook or that lure that looks shiny and looks like what they want to eat and they don't see the hook. And so they're enticed to it and they get closer and then they grab hold of that great looking bait and they're hooked and death comes right after that. There is something sneaky and nefarious about sin. Sin is very enticing. Sin holds out this bait, this lure that says, boy, doesn't this look good? If we could see the trap, if we could see the consequences, most of the time, my guess is we would not engage in sin, but the bait has covered that up. And we think, ooh, that looks enticing. And we grab hold of it, and we're trapped. And so Jesus says, don't be fooled by the bait. Ruthlessly attack the sin. He says, listen, if your feet are walking you toward places that you should not go, then cut them off. That's what he said. Right? If your hands will not stop doing evil, cut them off. If your eyes, if the lust of the eyes is constantly causing you to sin, dig them out, is what he said. Now, he's not telling us, he's using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration. He's not telling us to mutilate ourselves. He's simply saying you've got to do whatever you have to do to attack the source of sin. You do whatever you've got to do. If you watch that movie Fireproof, 
Kirk Cameron's character had been ensnared with computer pornography. It was ruining his marriage. And he came to the point where he confessed that. He knew that. And so there's the scene. He takes the computer out to his front yard. He sits it on this stand and he takes a sledgehammer to it and smashes it to pieces. He's like, this is no longer going to be a problem in my life. He radically got rid of it. Now, truly, that's not the source of sin. The source is is right here. But if that's causing you to sin, cut it out, he says. Now, I'm not saying you've got to smash your computer, but you know what? You might need to, if that's the source of sin. Because Jesus says, look, it is better to limp into heaven one-eyed and one-handed than to be thrown into hell fully intact. Do whatever you have to do to attack sin. Ruthlessly attack sin. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? There has to be a wholehearted rejection of sin in our life. That is the path to greatness. You do not want to be the one through whom the stumbling block comes. Woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. If we are not to, if we're to fierceless, fearless, fiercely, fiercely protect the vulnerable, that means in our life we must also ruthlessly attack sin. We can't be the one who's causing people to stumble. We're bring, you know, we bring someone to church, and then the way we live and behave and the doctrine we hold to leads them away from God. That is, woe to us, is what Jesus says. This is dreadful. If you want to be great in the kingdom, it's removing the self-indulgent, self-focused, self-pleasuring sin. And we serve others. We live for others. And he says, why? And he says one of the really kind of a strange thing, their angels, their angels are continually standing in God's presence. And that that should have caught our ears. What? Their angels? Let me first say this, that God doesn't need reports. God is constantly present. But it's saying that those ministering spirits, those, those angels that protect us, that serve us, They are constantly giving a report to the Lord. Here's what's going on in this child's life. This little one, this new believer, the person who has come. This is your child, Heavenly Father. Here's what's going on in their life. And they give that report. And if God is so concerned about that little one, that He sends angels to minister to them and protect them and serve them, how much more should we do the same thing? That's what He's trying to say. If the angels protect and serve and, and minister to this little one, then those who are in the kingdom shouldn't be ignoring them. Shouldn't be disconcerned about, you know, we're just not concerned about what's going on in their lives. Your question might be, is this about guardian angels? I think so. Verse 10. Their angels in heaven continually seek the, see the face of my Father who is in heaven. There's another passage in first in, in, in Hebrews one, Hebrews one fourteen. It says, talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits 
sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Look, I don't know if the angels are playing zone or if they're playing man to man. I don't know. But there are angels that protect and serve and minister God's people. Right? They care for us. That is their job. Not that God can't do it, but He's so concerned He also has angels working overtime. They minister, they serve, they protect. And if they do, how much more should those who are made in God's image care for those who are made in God's image who become children of the Lord? To be, to be great in the kingdom, we must enter humbly as a child, protect the vulnerable, be ruthless when it comes to holiness in our life. And Jesus also says, We must radically pursue others. Look at the last part of this passage, verses 12 through 14. We must radically pursue others. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go search for the one that's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, He rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Jesus says, what do you think? He said the same thing in chapter 17 to Peter when he came in asking about the tax. It's an invitation to ponder and to reflect. Just think about this. You've got a shepherd who owns a hundred sheep. They're coming in for the night. It's getting dusk out. And 90, he starts counting them off. He knows them by name because a good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. They come in. He counts 99. And then he counts again and realizes, man, there is one missing. And the good shepherd says, well, I hope that one lamb is good for the night. Hope he survives. I'm going to bed and we'll see. Is that what the good shepherd does? No. He says he doesn't. He doesn't do that. The good shepherd does something radical. He says, I'm going to leave the 99 exposed up on the mountains, it says, because I got to go find the one that's in danger. And he leaves and all his energy now is focused on one little lamb. And he searches everywhere. The, the searching is, in, the, in the original language is, is, is constructed in a way that means it's just continual. It's searching until it's done. He is going out and he is seeking for this lamb. And if he happens to find it, because sometimes they didn't find the sheep. Sometimes it was a wild animal that got hungry and it took that sheep away. Sometimes it was dark and the sheep would find itself walking off a cliff and, and dying. Sometimes the sheep would wander so far away that the shepherd couldn't find it. But if he could find it, Jesus says, truly, I say to you. Now, that's it. That's that's Jesus saying this. OK, guys, disciples, he says, put down your cell phones, turn off the TV, turn your eyes toward me. Pay, you know, open your ears and listen to me. This is important. What I'm going to tell you. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, truly, I say to you. He's saying what's following is incredibly important. He says that shepherd is going to rejoice more 
about that one lamb that he has found than 99 who are safe at home. He says, that's the way it is with God. That's God's heart. God has a thing for lost lambs, okay? His heart is to go seek out those who are lost. And if our Father's heart is that, our heart should be aligned with His. And we need to radically seek out and pursue others. He says, it is not the Father's will that any of them should perish. And we could go in Scripture and we could look at so many of these things that says the exact same thing. That God doesn't want anyone to perish. But He wants all to come to repentance. It's His will that this happens. Unfortunately, sin is rebellion against God's will. And so not everyone will. But our Father's will says He wants to rejoice over the one lost lamb. Our Father doesn't want any of His children to wander away from the truth and get lost. He doesn't want any of those who may be humbling themselves to come into the kingdom to be lured away by by whatever it might be. The Good Shepherd, and here's the good news, the Good Shepherd is concerned about each and every one of those sheep. If, if another, if he brought that one in, and the next night another one disappeared, he'd go searching for that one, right? It's not that he doesn't care about the 99, he cares about them staying with him. And so he cares about each and every one of us, like a good shepherd would, like a good father would. So who's the person in your life that you have a burden and say, man, this person must come to know Jesus. They, they have to. If they're not, I don't, you know, yes, eternity is with Christ, but you're like, I don't want eternity unless this person will be there. Who is on your heart today that we need to radically pursue? See, being great in the kingdom isn't about who gets to tell all the other disciples what to do. They were thinking about this the wrong way. Jesus says, you've got to realign your thinking. Being great in the kingdom, it means being humble. It means protecting those who need protecting. It means attacking sin and living in holiness. And it means pursuing those who are, who are lost. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. How is God speaking in your life? How does this apply to you today? Maybe you're someone who's never really entered into the kingdom. You've never really allowed Jesus to rule in your life. That's what the kingdom is. Jesus' rule over your life. And today you need to say, I'm like this child that needs, I just, I just need to totally depend upon my father. Maybe you're a believer and there's an aspect of your life and this sin is, is just engulfing you and you need freedom from it. Freedom comes in Christ. We need to ruthlessly attack that sin and remove it. Maybe there's someone on your heart that desperately needs Christ and maybe you're just, maybe need reminded to pray for them. Ask the Lord to, He's working in their life, but ask Him to, to soften their heart.
Maybe you need to go and speak with them clearly about what it means to surrender to the Lord. God, we come to you and ask that however you're speaking to us now, however you want us to to adjust our life and our thinking, God, I pray that you would make it clear to us. God, forgive us for trying to be great in the kingdom. For bragging about things that we do or for, for showing off in ways that we show off or to walk around thinking that we are the reason that, uh, you, you know, the world is around or something. I, you know, God, I just forgive us of our arrogance and our pride and help us become, again, like little children and realize I don't I didn't wake up today except the Lord said wake up. And I didn't eat today until the Lord said, here's food. I didn't have clothes or a house. And God, I can't speak or, or teach or, or be kind to others without the Lord transforming me into what He wants me to become. I'm just a helpless child. And so God, I just pray that You would remind us of how desperately we need You Every single day. Thank you for being a good father. And God, if there's someone who needs to enter into the kingdom today, I pray they make that confession and say, I I surrender to you and I enter in. God, for those who are believers, I pray that we would root out the sin in our life. Show us the root cause. Let us cut it out. Do whatever it takes, God, to live holy for you. Help us pursue others who need to know you. Bring back those lost lambs into your fold. Use us, God, to do your work here. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.